Hey there, thanks for joining us for the latest podcast from Resound Church. We really believe that together we are better, and our heart is to reach, send, nurture, and disciple people as they become all that God has intended them to be. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or head over to our website, resound.church forward slash app, to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Well, how's everyone going? Fantastic. My name's Mason. Like Ruth said, we were in a car accident last night, and uh, which is pretty crazy. And I got to bed, I think, at about 5 a.m. after getting out of the hospital. Um, so if I say anything that doesn't make sense this morning, just say amen, smile and nod your head. Uh, because I've had a coffee, and it's the first time I've had a coffee in a very, very long time. Um, just to get through this morning, but Ruth made me preach, so I'm joking. I'm kidding. My name is Mason. I am married to Jess, uh, was Jess Waterman, now Jess Hudson, and um, my normal joke when I go somewhere to preach is, isn't the last name an upgrade? But I can't really say that, that the family's in the room this morning, so I won't say that this morning, but she is, my wife is here somewhere uh, with our beautiful baby daughter, who I'll show you in a second, but uh, my wife is the apple of my eye, sugar and spice, all things nice, ribbon and lace with a sweet, pretty face. She is the best thing that happened to me um, since Jesus, and she does not pay me to say that, uh, which is cool. We just had a daughter. She's four months years old. Her name is Summer Grace. I think we've got a photo of her because she's tiny. Look at that! She is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen, and I know that I'm biased, but she is the cutest thing. Um, that I have ever seen, uh, which is incredible. It's incredible, and those who are parents would know that it is incredible uh, when you hold your baby for the first time. Uh, particularly for me, my story, a little bit of my story um, this morning is I grew up in a household that was um, turbulent to say the least, and um, my dad was a debt collector for, gang, for a gang uh, when I was younger. My earliest memory of my father um, is him beating my mum up in the backyard. Um, and then the last memory I have of my dad is when I was in about grade two and he came around the house and I was in the backyard with my older brother and I ran towards him because I hadn't seen him for a while and I was like, dad, and I ran towards him. My brother grabbed me by the back of the shirt and said, don't run towards him. Um, don't go there. And I was trying to break free. He then entered the house. There was a lot of screaming, a lot of smashing of, of different things. But I broke free from my older brother, ran to the house. As my dad walked out the door, he didn't say anything. I ran to him with arms lifted high and said, Dad, he grabbed me by the head, pushed me backwards, got in the car, and I never saw him again. And so as a young man, I grew up um, feeling very unwanted, feeling like I have no purpose, feeling like um, what's the meaning to life? It's nothing. Because of different circumstances and situations, we moved to Bendigo, um, to try and get away from um, different things that were happening at the time. And uh, mum put me in a Christian school because she thought it would be safe. We didn't believe in Jesus, nothing. When I went to the Christian school, I thought it was a load of rubbish. I thought it was fairy tales. I was like, this makes no sense. It's fairy tales. It's dumb. It's stupid. It, it, it's, it's got no relevance to me at all. So I went through my whole teenage years believing that, started going down um, a really bad path as, a, as an older teenager. But then when I was 16 years of age, I went to a, a camp and, and it, we went to a meeting. 
And it was a meeting just like this. And I sat at the back with my friends. And there was a weirdo like me standing at the front of the stage. And he said this, if you want to give your life to Jesus, Jesus can actually be the father to the fatherless. So instantly I was like, okay. I was broken. I was hurting as a 16-year-old man. I was... I didn't know what life was about, nothing, confused. I sat in the back and for some reason, he said, if you want to give your life to Jesus tonight, I want you to lift your hand. And as I sat in the back row, I thought to myself, do you know what? This thing's probably too important for me not to at least see if it's real or not. And so as a, as a 16-year-old, I swallowed my pride and when you know, he told everyone to close their eyes and I had my eyes open to make sure my friends weren't looking. But something was... God was doing something in my heart and it doesn't happen like this for everyone but for me I lifted my hand and the only way I can describe it is it's like I met my father for the first time I had a very supernatural encounter with what I've come to know as a very real and living God he came down wrapped his arms around me and I heard the words I'm proud of you my son I've never heard those words before up until those moments as a 16 year old when God came down to a kid who had rejected him his whole life didn't want anything to do with him came down in one moment, wrapped his arms around me and said, I'm proud of you, my son. And the rest is history. That's why I stand here today. In that moment, I I made a choice and I said, God, if you died for me and you are who you say you are, then the rest of my life, I'm going to do whatever I can um, to see other people have that same encounter that I had with the Father. And that's how I'm here today, pretty much. God has led me And it is the greatest decision that I've ever made. And I just want to say that if you're in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, could you just open your heart this morning as we come around His Word? Let Him speak to you even if you don't believe in Him. And at the end of the service, I'm going to give you the same opportunity that I had as a 16-year-old, which was to come home. Come home. you know this there might be someone here and I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me that there might be someone here and for whatever reason you've walked away from Jesus or you feel like because of different circumstances or situations in your life that you once were really passionate following God and all that kind of stuff and then life has a way of beating you down sometimes and I just feel like the Holy Spirit is saying come home Come home. Today's the day. You're not here by accident. God's calling you. Come home. Come home. Come on. Can we get around the word this morning? We're going to read from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're just going to read uh, two verses um, this morning. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. After that, Jesus tells three stories. One about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. Can we pray this morning? Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are and for what you do. Lord God, I thank you that for your grace, without which we would be nowhere or we would be nothing. Lord, I praise you for your grace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in this place, that anything that's of me would fall to the ground, but anything that's of you would pierce the hearts of everybody listening. And everyone said... Amen. Have you ever met someone who's better than you at something that you pride yourself at being good at? Has anyone ever met someone like that? That's an awful day. 
Isn't it the worst day ever when you meet someone in your life who's better than you at something that you pride yourself at being good at? Now, as a young kid, I always wanted to make the NBA. The only one who said I could make the NBA was my mum. And because she said it, I believed it. And I'm actually really short and not great at basketball. Um, but I thought that I was like, I'm going to make the NBA. So I've always liked playing basketball. And um, up until a few years ago, running youth ministry and stuff, um, I could beat every single kid that came to youth at a one-on-one match of basketball. It was like my thing. People were like, you're so good at basketball. I'm like, yeah, I'm awesome at basketball. Then this one kid came, um, got invited, and he came to youth, and he was about six foot three, uh, 16 years of age, and I'm just owning all these kids, these 13-year-old kids on the basketball court, feeling like a champion. And then he's like, hey, I'll play you. And I'm like, easy, I got you. And I throw in the ball. As soon as I throw in the ball, I can tell he can play. You can tell it by the way someone bounces the ball. As soon as I threw the ball, I was like, okay, this kid can play. So then I got down in my defensive stance, and I was like, let's go. We're going to play properly this time. So then he comes at me. He goes one direction. I'm like, I've got you. And then he fakes. I jump for the fake, even though we're playing one-on-one. He like pump faked the pass, but I went for it anyway. And then I was like, oh, dang. Then he crossed me over, went the other way. I lost my footing and fell on the ground in front of all the youth kids. And all the youth kids were like, oh, he fell on the ground. And then the kid blows past me and scores a basket, which makes it even worse. And all the kids are like, oh, man, you suck at basketball, bro. You suck. And I was like, oh, dang. I was like, I don't suck at basketball, okay? He's just better than me. And so I punched him in the face. I'm kidding. It was a horrible day. But isn't that a weird, a weird day? What is it about when, when someone's better than us at something that kind of just feels like a stab in the heart? Like if we're like, we're really good at this. And, and it's just like this, it kind of just feels like this stab in the heart. Or, but isn't it a great day? Like, or, or what about this? Who knows those people who are just good at everything? You know those people who are just literally good at everything and we pretend to like them? We're like, oh, you're so great. You're fantastic. Oh, you can sing as well. Oh, awesome. And you're good looking. Oh, and you're funny. So you're the triple threat. Oh, fantastic. We really love you, but this church is for imperfect people. So you can leave. Please leave. It's about, there's something about it. It hits us. It's like a stab in the heart. We, we kind of just want to also stab those people who are good at everything. Like, come on, you can't be good at everything. But isn't it like God shines upon you? The day when you find out that they have a flaw that you don't have. Oh my. When they, and you're like, and people are like, have you met this person? They're great. They can sing. They can dance. They can act. They've got it all. They're funny. They're good looking. They dress well. They're fantastic. You're, well, they may be fantastic. But did you hear that blah, 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 blah? And that feels like, for some reason, it kind of makes us feel good. What is it about sometimes, and let's be honest this morning, what is it about sometimes that sometimes when we tear those people down, it kind of makes us feel a little bit better? I'll tell you why. It's because I think there's an underlying value system that mankind has created that says this, that your worth and your value comes from what you do. And your worth and your value is earned. So that's why when we, we're, we're better, at, better than someone at something, 
we feel like, oh man, I feel good. But then when someone kind of is better than us at something that we pride ourselves or something that we do, it kind of hits at our self-worth. And so it kind of feels like, oh, well, maybe I'm, I'm not. It's because we've developed, I think, as a society, this value system that says your worth and your value comes from what you do. And you earn it. And it sounds flawed, doesn't it? It's because it is. We've all asked in some way or another in our lives, what am I worth? Do I have value? And we've all done what kind of seems the most natural, normal thing to do, which is to compare ourselves with other people to see where we fit. We compare our, the money we have. We compare the job we have. We compare, we even young people compare where they go to school or where they got brought up. We, we compare our, our job. We compare different things like this, all these kind of things, the clothes we wear, the friends that we have. And we kind of then rank ourselves in, in particular communities. And we kind of come up with a social status with just, this is where I am. And, and, and in that moment, what actually happens is, it actually determines in a particular community who we socialize with, but it also determines the people that we try and tear down, particularly in Australia. But it also, it, it also uh, determines who we turn our nose up at. And it sounds flawed. And it's because it is flawed. It's, it's not, it doesn't make logical sense when you, when you really think about it, but we kind of rank ourselves in this order and it's flawed and some of you might say well that is flawed and I don't really do that but how many of you have have maybe one time said something along the lines of this oh that person's punching or they're way out of that person's league why do we say that because we have determined that for whatever reason because of the way they look because of what they wear, their job they have, we have determined that one person is better than the other person. So we say, oh, they're way out of that person's league. Or how many of you have been to a supermarket and you see a mum that hasn't done their hair, has kids running around her like they're crazy, and you've kind of walked through the supermarket and kind of looked at them and, and turned your nose up at them and kind of had this disgusted face a little bit and been like, oh, she needs to control her kids. Or how many of you have walked past business class on the plane and looked at them and go, why? Look at these guys at the front here. Why would they spend that much money on a plane ticket? Knowing full well, if you had the money, you'd be right up there with them with a champagne in your hand like, ha, 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 ha. Look at these peasants walking to economy. We have these underlying system of determining wealth and value and they're kind of our social rules they're our social norms they're often unseen they're unspoken about but they're very much there and you know that's why I love Jesus because Jesus just kept upsetting people he kept upsetting people because he didn't follow the social norms and the social rules that you were supposed to follow like in this story for example he's there with tax collectors, he's there with sinners, he's there with people that he shouldn't be like, he'll be with. So there's Pharisees who are just normal people 
trying to do their best to serve God, say, Jesus, you shouldn't be hanging out with those people. Don't you know what they, they've done? Don't you think that you should be hanging out with different people? Because don't you know what they've done, who they are? You shouldn't be with them. You're in a different class to them. Why are you hanging out with them? But the fact that Jesus continued to hang out with these people to- tells me this, that his value system for, ma- for mankind is different from ours. It's different from ours. And if it's different from ours, then shouldn't we as Christians kind of work out what that value system is and then apply it to our lives and the way that we see ourselves, but then also apply it to other people and the way that we see other people? The answer is yes. So then the question begs, what is the value system of God? What is Jesus' value system for mankind? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because this is my favorite part, but brace yourself. It actually makes no logical sense. It doesn't actually make any logical sense. Um, Jesus is there. The tax collectors, the tax collectors, the Pharisees basically say this. I'm really distracted by the keys, bro. Can you just play like just cold chords? Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. The Pharisees say this. They say, why is he hanging out with them? And Jesus says this in response. He tells them three stories. And it's perfect because Jesus answers in the normal way that he answers, which kind of confuses them, but he's making them think and process the answer because he knows that revelation that is just told is often hard to hold on to, but revelation that is processed and thought through can turn to convictions, and it's the convictions in our life that actually change the way that we act. So in the same way, could we just process these three stories? This morning, could you open your heart? Could we think about them? And could we let it turn to a conviction this morning, which changes the way that we act when we get to our workplaces and our schoolyards on Monday morning? Let's look at the three stories. The first one is this. They say, why are you hanging out with these people? And Jesus says, well, pretend you're a shepherd. And pretend you have a hundred sheep and you wake up one morning and you do a head count, and you realize that there's only 99 sheep. One's gone missing. So at this point in the story, we kind of think, oh, well, okay, well, we've still got 99 sheep, so that's pretty good. And I go, well, let's cut our losses. Let's just say 99 sheep are worth more than one, so let's cut our losses. The sheep have got to be the dumbest animal on the face of the planet anyway. I can say that I'm from the country in Bendigo. They've got to be the dumbest animal. It's the sheep's fault for walking off. I hope it walks off a cliff. Like, let's be honest. The 99 is worth more. I'm going to stick with the 99. Makes sense, Jesus. I already know the answer. But then Jesus goes on. And he says this. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you leave the 99 to go after the one? No. I wouldn't. I would stay with the 99. Why? The 99 are worth more than one. If you take 99 sheep, it's not rocket science. If you take 99 sheep to market, you will get more money than if you take one lonely sheep to market. So I would just cut my losses. I would thank God that I got 99 problems, but a sheep ain't one. That's for the young people. I cut my losses. And then he goes on. He goes, and then when you find that sheep, Wouldn't you throw a party and invite all your friends and celebrate that you found your one sheep? No, I would not. 
Sheep are the dumbest animal on the planet. And while we're on the, on the subject, we are likened to sheep in Scripture as well. So what does that say about... No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't. Why? Because if I throw a party for all my friends, the party is going to cost more than the sheep. It's going to cost more than the sheep. So why would I then throw a party for a sheep and it's going to cost me more money to throw the party for the sheep than it is for me to just leave the sheep to die? It doesn't make any sense. And so I can imagine the Pharisees sitting there saying, Jesus, that is about the dumbest thing that I have ever heard. Try again. And then Jesus goes, okay, I'll try again. Say there's this woman and she has 10 coins. She loses one of those coins. Wouldn't you turn up your whole house, flip it upside down? The word in the Bible that he uses is to actually like tear things up, to flip them over, to trash your whole house and look for that one coin. And then when you've found that one coin, wouldn't you invite all your friends over, throw a party and then use the, ten, uh, the nine coins to, to spend on a party to celebrate the fact that you've found this one coin. No, I would not. Why? It doesn't make any sense. The one thing is I would have to clean the house that I've now trashed because we all know we can't have people over if our house is a mess and we all run around quickly clean it before someone comes over and they open the door and we pretend we live like this all the time. She wasn't going to invite people over with a, mess, with a messy house. So then she has to clean the house, do all that work. She probably has to spend the other nine coins on throwing a party to find this one coin. Would you do that? No. That makes no sense, Jesus. None. Then so I feel like he goes, oh, I, well, let me try again then. Say there's a, a dad. He's got two sons. And one of his sons decides that he doesn't want to live with his dad anymore and says, Dad, give me my inheritance early. And basically what he's doing is, is ripping the dad off and saying, hey, give me my inheritance early. To, let me take the money that you've worked hard for and I'm going to go. And then he goes and he spends it on wild living and he finds himself in a pig pen trying to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And he says to himself, you know what? I can, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to beg him to take me back. Even if he makes me a slave, I'm going to beg for him to take me back. Just take me back as a slave and, and I'll work my way back up. And when I read this story, I'm like, well, finally, something that makes sense. He's going to go back. He's going to beg his father and he's going to say, Dad, I've stuffed up. Make me a servant again. Let me earn my way back into your household, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, finally, I can get down with that. That makes sense. He should have to pay the money back. It makes sense. And then Jesus goes on. Well, when the father saw him on a long way off, the father was filled with compassion and runs towards him. What? He keeps sprinting towards him, runs towards him. He then embraces him. Okay. Well, he's probably going to roast him later, so it's going to be fine. He embraces him. Then the son starts, Dad, I'm so sorry for what I did. I apologize. I'm like, yeah, you apologize. Say you're sorry. Pay the money back. If only you can it, just, make me a, just make me a servant of your household. Let me work my way back up to, to you this morning. Just make me a servant. And the dad goes, stop, 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 stop. He says, go get my ring. Go get my coat. 
put it on him. And again, let's throw a party. What? But shouldn't he, Jesus, shouldn't he have to earn his way back in? He can't just do that and then just just come back in like nothing happened. And not only that, but then throw a party for him. He's, hasn't he taken enough of your money? Like, okay, let him sleep in a bed again, but don't throw him a party. Doesn't make sense. Why do these stories don't make sense to us? Because the sheep has done nothing to be that valuable, to be worth that much, done nothing. The coin has done nothing to be worth that much. And the son has done absolutely nothing to be worth that much. The sheep only has value because the shepherd gives it value. The woman, oh, the coin only has that much value because the woman gave it value. And the son only has that much value because the father gave him that value. And welcome to the value system of God. Given, not earned. Given, not earned. Why do you have value? Why are you loved? Why do you matter? Why are you important? It's not because you have money or friends or enough faith or because you have a job or because your kids behave or because you've done enough righteous acts and you've beaten your body into submission. No, you are worth something. You are valuable. You are loved. You matter and you are important because God says so. That's it. Because He said so. Well, what am I worth to Jesus? Everything. What are you worth to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Everything. Why? Because of what you've done? No. Because of what He's done. Stop comparing yourself with other people and feeling down and feeling up depending on what you feel like for the day. We need to get a revelation, church, and Christians need to get a revelation that your value is not earned, but it is given. It is given. It's not what you've done. Your past does not define you. But what did I cost God? What did you cost to God? You cost everything. Everything. You mean I don't have to have it all together? You mean I don't have to be better than anyone else? Because God put value on me. Yes, you can take a breath. You can relax. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Just sit in the peace of God because you are worth something. How much did you cost? Everything. Everything. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just go to the cross. The Bible says that he was arrested, stripped naked, tied to a post. There he is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one we serve, stripped naked, tied to a post. They get a cat of nine tails. It was a whip that had nine tails. Attached to it was glass, bits of pottery, broken stuff, broken bones. And they began to whip him 39 times with a cat of nine tails, each whip literally raking the skin off his back. In some 
places you read that if you got whipped that much with a cat of nine tails, you would actually have to get flipped over onto your front because there wouldn't be enough flesh left on your back for, you to, for them to keep whipping. It takes, 30, it takes 40 whips to kill someone. Jesus was whipped 39 times. Why? For you. Why? Because He put value on you. It cost Him everything. He did it for you. He's there. The King of Kings. The whip literally raking the skin off of His back. Why? For you. Then they unchained him. They dragged him through the dirt and through the mud. The Bible says that they punched him in the face, that they spat on him, that they teased him. They then put a robe over him to make fun of him. And what they would do is they pat the robe down into the open wound on his back. They would wait for it to dry. Then they would rip it off again. They got a crown of thorns and they drove it down into his head. And he's there, our Savior, our King of Kings, the one we sing about. He's there broken. Why? For you. He's then dragged and, and they get this cross, which some, some people say the cross would have weighed over a hundred kilos and they, they get this cross and they jam it onto his back. And they say, now you've got to walk. Walk up that hill. Walk all the way to the place we're going we're, we're gonna to kill you. And so there's Jesus, our King, our Savior, with a cross on his back. He begins to walk. The Bible says that he could have called down 12 legions of angels at any time to save him. But that's not the God that you serve. Your God is not weak. He does not grow weary. He does not get tired, but he is strong. He is alive. If anybody has ever made you think that God is not powerful and God is not strong, I can tell you one thing. They are lying because there's Jesus whipped within an inch of his life with a hundred kilo cross on his back. And he begins to walk. Why? For you did it for you. He begins to walk and he walks a little bit further and he falls on the ground. And as he falls on the ground, people spit on him, kick him. He falls in the mud and in on the dirt. And can I, can I just say what I think that he saw? I think that he saw every time you would reject him. Every time that you would choose not to obey what he said. And with everything inside of him, as Jesus is there on the ground, I can picture him saying, I need to keep going. I need to keep going. Because one day they might call me. One day they might need my grace. One day they might need my presence. That, it, that they need to know that I love them, that they're worth something, that they have value in my eyes. So with everything inside of him, he lifts himself back up with the cross on his back and he continues to walk. He walks a bit further. He falls again in the dirt and the mud. People spit on him, people teasing him. Do you know what I reckon he saw? I reckon he saw every time that your heart was broken. Every time that you stayed up late stressing about things. Every time that you prayed for your son or your daughter to come to know, to come to know Jesus. He said, I need to be able to answer them. I need to be there. Why? Because they're worth everything to me. And so Jesus, with everything inside of him, lifts himself back up again and continues to walk and drag that cross. Why? For you. He did it for you. He goes a bit further. He falls down again. He saw you probably sitting in this room. He saw you again. He said, I need to respond. I need to be there. So with everything inside of him, he does everything he can to lift himself up. But he can't. He's done. He's beaten. He's trying to lift himself back up to his feet. He keeps falling. No one comes to help him. 
This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that saved you, the one that rescued you, the one that gave you grace, the one that calls you son and a daughter. He does everything he can. Nobody will stand. Nobody comes to help him. They grab someone out of the crowd and and force him down on the ground. They say, you carry the cross for him. The guy gets down, lifts up the cross and begins to walk. Now, Jesus could have sat there and they would have dragged him the rest of the way. But that's not the God that you serve. You don't serve a weak God. You don't serve a God who gives up. You don't serve a God who sits on the sidelines. They could have dragged in the rest of the way, but that's not the Jesus that we serve. Our Jesus, because of you and because of what he wanted to show you, lifts himself back up on his feet, wraps his arm around that cross, and he keeps walking. Why? For you. To show you how much you're worth. They get to the cross. They get to the hill, the place where he's going to be crucified. They lay the cross down. They lay Jesus on his back. They drive a nine-inch iron nail through one wrist. They drive another nine-inch nail through the other wrist. They cross his feet over left to right. They drive another nail through his ankles. They then flip the cross on its front. A hundred kilos come crashing down on Jesus. They stand on the cross and they bang back the nails so that he doesn't fall out. And then they lift the cross up and plonk it in a hole. And there's Jesus, the one who saved you, the one who set you free. The King of kings and the Lord of lords hanging on the cross. Why? For you. It says that in Roman crucifixion, it's excruciating on the cross to breathe, let alone talk. Because to breathe, you have to lift yourself up on your feet, on the iron nail that's in your ankles. You have to lift yourself up to take a, a breath in. And then you have to go down and lift yourself up again just to take a breath out. It's said that your lungs would literally collapse as you are breathing. And there's Jesus. Excruciating to breathe, little alone talk. Why was he there? For you. Pissed for your iniquities. Cursed because of your sin. Excruciating to talk. Jesus, uh, uh, breathe, little alone talk. Jesus lifts himself up on his feet, takes a deep breath. Then lifts himself up again, and with with the breath that he has, he says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Who's he talking about? You. He did it for you. To show you that you are worth something. To show you it doesn't matter how much money you have, what job you have. It doesn't matter the clothes you wear. It doesn't matter the family background you come from. It does not matter. Jesus did it for you. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with in your life. He did it for you. He did it for you to show you that you have value. It's all about Him and what He did. That's where we should get our worth. That's where we should get our value from. It's all about Him. You see, people think that this story is about a sheep and about a coin and about a lost son. It's not. It's about a shepherd, a woman, and a father. It's all about Him. The shepherd reveals Jesus. 
The woman reveals the Holy Spirit and the Father reveals the Father heart of God. It's always about Him. Church, if you leave this place in awe of anything else this morning, but Jesus Christ, we're doing this thing wrong. It's always been about Him. It will always be about Him. Where's your value and your worth come from? Him. It's always about Him. It's always been about Him. Jesus changed everything. He gave mankind worth and value through the cross. You have value today not because, of, not because you're good at this or that, but because Jesus gave you value and you should treat yourself accordingly. The people you meet every day have value regardless of their behavior, background, or ability because Jesus gave them value and you should treat them accordingly. Does that sound familiar? It's the value system of God. Jesus, sum up all your teachings for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When I was preparing yesterday, the Holy Spirit put on my heart three different types of people that might be in the room. And, and, and I'm just going to read out the, the, the people that I feel like the Holy Spirit's trying to break something off of your life today and tell you that you have worth, you have value. The first one is this. You've stuffed up. And you feel guilt and you feel shame. Or you're constantly reminded of a past mistake. It's like you take two steps forward and then that mis- you remind of this mistake and it just feels like you keep taking steps backwards. Can I tell you this morning that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that He has set you free. He has set you free. Your past does not have to define your future. If there is breath in your lungs, then you are called, you are gifted, you are anointed, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Your past mistakes do not define you. Why? Because Jesus paid for them on the cross. The second group of people, I feel like there's some people here and it's pretty hard to love yourself or to love people like you love yourself. So when you look in the mirror and you hate everything you see and you hate who you are and you've been trying to fight it off in your own strength, but it's exhausting. Can I tell you something? God sees you. He put value on you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made this morning. You are fearfully and wonderfully made this morning. And my prayer is that the next time you look into the mirror, you won't see those hurts. You won't see those pains. You won't see all the flaws, but you will see that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The third person, third group of people that I feel like there's some people here is that you don't feel like you'll ever be enough. Not for your partner, not for your kids, not for your family, not for your job, not for God. You feel like you're not a good enough Christian. You compare yourselves to others and you get down. Can I tell you something? You're enough. You're enough. Not because of what you do or because of what you've done, but because of who you are and because of who He is. He put value on your life. You're enough. Stop comparing yourself. You're enough. You're enough for Him. He can use you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. If you're one of those three people, we're just going to sing one last song in just a moment because I just want to give you space to connect with God because I believe some of those thought processes and some of those things that you've been holding, like this is my value and stuff, I believe that they're going to be broken 
And the reason why I want to give you a moment just now in this service is because I know that when you walk out these doors, the busyness of life starts. And if we left it like, like this, you might feel something in your heart and go, yeah, it's all good. But then when the busyness of life, you kind of forget and you keep living the same way. So I want to just create a space this morning where you can just say, God, that's me. Could you help me break these thoughts, these things off of my life? And if that's not you and you're like, I'm good, then do you know what? When we sing this song, can you worship like you've never worshipped before with everything that you have? Because when Paul and Silas were in a prison, they begin to worship. And as they begin to worship, it says that their chains fell off their life, but also all the other prison doors and all the other prison chains fell off. So you might not be going through stuff with your self-worth and all that, but the person next to you might. So let your praise and worship to God help break chains off of their life. Does that make sense? Just before we do, though, I believe that there are some people here, and maybe you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've walked away from Jesus. I want to tell you something, that He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He puts worth and value on your life. He loves you more than anything. Mankind was created to be in relationship with Him. It's what we were created for. But then we rejected that relationship with Him and we started doing it our own way. That's why the world is the way that it is today because we've tried to do it without God. But thank God that we serve a God who loves us, that puts enough value on us to wrap Himself up in flesh and blood to come down and die on a cross for you. Why? To restore you back to your original purpose, which is relationship with Him. So if you're here this morning and you've walked away or you don't know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to come back to Him. You might, you don't have to understand it all. But I'm praying that just like when I was a 16-year-old, when I lifted my hand, that God did something in my heart. So can we just close our eyes just across this place, just to give people privacy in this place. And if you're here this morning, walked away from Jesus, or you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not going to get you out the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to simply ask you on the count of three just to quickly lift your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. And then we're just going to pray. We're just going to pray that God would come into your heart. The Bible says to be saved, all you got to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So come on, if that's you this morning, and you want to start a relationship with Jesus or you want to come home this morning, then on the count of three, I just want you to lift your hands. Are you ready? One, two, three. If there's anyone here, would you lift your hand? Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you, sir. I see that hand at the back. Thank you. If there's anyone here this morning, come on, I'll just leave it one more moment. If your heart is beating, that is God calling you. He's calling you home. Yeah, I see that hand at the back. I see those two hands over there. Thank you so much. God loves you. Come on, is there anyone else here this morning? Is there anyone else here this morning? I see that hand over there. Thank you, sir. God loves you. Come on, if there's anyone else here this morning, there's anyone else here this morning fantastic there was probably about 10 people that put their hand up this morning praise God praise God we're going to pray a prayer and I'll ask you to just repeat the prayer after me if you lifted your hand up I want you to just say these words with everything in your heart same with everything in your heart. And as you do, I believe your life will never be the same again as you surrender your heart to Jesus. But we're all going to say it just to help you out. Is that cool? But if you lifted your hand, I want you to say it with everything inside of your heart. Would you say, dear Jesus? Come on, say it like you mean it. Dear Jesus, I know that I've rejected you at times. I know that I've done things wrong. 
but I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for forgiving me. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would be the Lord of my life. God, I give you my heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide me, that you would lead me, and that you would show me your ways. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Come on, would you lift your hands and give Jesus? Hey, what a great message. Thanks for joining us here at Resound Church. We pray that you've been encouraged through the message and that you've grown just a little bit closer to God. While you're online, why don't you head over and give us a like on Facebook or Instagram or check out our website at resound.church. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or head over to our website resound.church forward slash app to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. Well, don't forget next week, there'll be another amazing podcast here to listen to from Resound Church. We hope you join us then.